Hi, I'm Pete Smith, the Director of the Centre for Disability Employment uh, Research and Practice. And I'm in Wellington today with uh, Garth Benny, who's the CEO of the Disability uh, Support Network, and we're going to talk about the future of employment. Good morning, Garth. Good morning. Um, this morning I was watching on the news and the, the topic of the future of work actually came up and they were looking at it from the perspective of automation and artificial intelligence. So obviously the future of work is a topical discussion, but when we look at it from the perspective of oh, people with a disability, what are your thoughts on where we're going with that? Well, I think our, our current policy settings um, in New Zealand are still very wedded to a traditional, the traditional idea of a um, 30 or 40 hour working week, you know, um, and the idea that everyone should be ultimately pursuing full-time employment. The reality of our changing labour market should be telling us some, and sending us some quite different messages because the reality of work is changing. The growth in employment is in part-time, uh, part-time employment, um, and there are significant um, changes afoot. And the implications for disabled people um, are, are particularly significant because the policy settings that are driving the larger labour market are also driving the way in which uh, support services and um, other assumptions are made around the future of work for disabled people. So even for disabled people, we're talking in terms of you know, permanent full-time work. Um, the reality of which um, is not just challenging from a labour market perspective, but there are lots and lots of disabled people for whom um, full-time work is, is a significant challenge because of, because of their disability in some cases, but also because of the barriers that they experience, but also the availability of work. And so I think um, we, we need to be thinking about the world of work in a much broader, um, broader sense. Um, particularly for people who have significant barriers to employment. Um, even a um, ten hours of work a week can have a profound impact on one's economic security if the only other income you've got is a, um, a state benefit. Right. There's, there's always been this tendency within disability employment um, services that employment is you know, 25 hours or more a week. But we know experience for most people, particularly people with um, uh, more profound disability, uh, work really is to your capacity, which may well be two, four hour stints a week, might be just 10 hours. And certainly my experience has been that the average is around about 10 to 15 hours a week. So yeah. the idea of, of full-time work seems to be almost counterproductive to the to mm. the d delivery of employment services to people. Yeah, well I think the story that we, we have to tell is, is um, around the profound impact that having 10 to 15 hours of work a week can have on, on your quality of life, on your disposable income, um, on your ability to improve your financial security and of course all the other outcomes that, that, that extend from, of, from having work in terms of, a, of improving and extending your social network and contributing not just to your financial security but your general well-being. And so at the moment we have policy settings that are reluctant to invest um, taxpayer funding into employment outcomes that are below 
25, 30 hours a week. And I, I think that's nonsense, so, you know, from a, as we often hear in, here in New Zealand, uh, from a social investment perspective, that just doesn't make sense. When investing in an employment outcome for someone with a very significant disability that's going to involve 10, uh, even less, say between 5 and 15 hours of work a week, can have a profound impact on that person's financial security and well-being and wider well-being. And it's a, an investment that, that is well worth making. Right, and I think if you contrast that against the, the increased casualisation of the workforce uh, yeah. domestically and globally, mm. where the average person is work, their work requirement is anywhere from 15 to maybe 25 hours a week, the idea of pursuing this 25 plus hour a week seems to be a nonsense when the average mm. able-bodied person mm. actually works significantly less than that. Yeah. So I agree. So I think we need to shift shift our, our policy settings so that value is placed um, where the actual opportunity, you know, work opportunities right. are and reflect the changing nature of the labour market and the impact that work can have on, on um, uh, even a few hours a week can have on, on disabled people. I mean, if you're on the um, supported living payment in New Zealand and you get a, a job for between 10, between 5 and 10 hours a week, um, which will only have a negligible effect on your benefit abatement, um, your um, disposable income increases by about three times. Right. And that's, that's the movie ticket, that's the bus ticket, that's the membership for the local gym, that's, that's, that's the stuff that gets you um, participating and being part of your community, not just sitting at home observing the community around you. Right, so this is this goes to the idea of redefining the meaning of work, mm. from a so that it should be defined from a personal perspective rather than a policy setting which says, well, work is X number of hours per yeah. week, and if you're not doing that, you're not in meaningful work. That's right. Yeah, I ab absolutely agree, um, and I think um, we've got some work to do here. I know in other jurisdictions as well, but in New Zealand, we're still we still have policy settings that reflect a reality that is rapidly disappearing. And yet the oddity of it is if you look at the universal definition of work and certainly the statistical definition they use in, in most countries is one hour of meaningful work in the reference week um, with the expectation of an exchange of labour for income. Mm. Yes. And yet from a from a service provision point of view we still have this the idea that it's well if you're not getting more than 25 hours a week you're not in employment that's right that's right and i think some of those policy settings stem from a very um narrow sense of what um good taxpayer investment um is and and for for many years in new zealand um and it hasn't changed yet um in relation to disability employment, we tend to respond with welfare reduction strategies, right. not with employment strategies. Right. So the goal is not so much employment, the goal is getting people off benefits. And of course, um, that, ha that ends up creating all sorts of perverse um, uh, incentives and unintended consequences, um, usually uh, that are paid for by, by, um, by disabled people in terms of um, very short-term employment outcomes, or progressively excluding people from the possibility of getting access to support for an employment outcomes that's less than 15 hours a week. Right. In um, a conversation just that I mentioned, I touched on the topic of transitional labour markets and viewing unemployment as as another transition and an opportunity to invest in 
in the individual. And, and I think that from my perspective, maybe a large part of, of the conundrum around employment is, is wrapped up in this notion that for people with disability, employment is, to, is a welfare program, and in actual fact, it, it should shift to an investment program mm -hmm. uh, where if someone is unemployed and they have a disability, we should be investing in that individual to allow them to, to move to a, a higher level of, of participation in the community rather than viewing it as, well, another person on welfare that we have to get off by fair means or foul. Sure. I mean, the, the policy rhetoric uh, has begun to develop a, a pace in New Zealand that absolutely um, unemployed disabled people, uh, is that, that's a... Um, an opportunity the whole com you know whole community and the labour market is missing out on, and the investment in, in creating better employment outcomes uh, for disabled people is an investment that can make a significant contribution to the economic well-being of the whole country and and, and contribute to GDP. Um, and so, um, but that that rhetoric hasn't translated into actual policy changes. So while the rhetoric is there and the research uh, that's been done here in another country absolutely supports that, you know, the vast majority of people uh, with disabilities who want who who can work want and want to work, um, um, their employment participation is half what it is for non-disabled people. So there's considerable scope there. Um, we just have to. Uh, lose the idea that this employment is always going to be full-time and always going to be uh, permanent um, because that's not where the labour market generally is heading and so we've got this really real big disconnect um, between the policy rhetoric, uh, the policy reality and um, a labour market that's rapidly changing in front of us. Right, one of the things we don't often see explored um, but it's becoming uh, something uh, more obvious overseas is the idea of self-employment for people with a disability. <clears throat> and often agencies are reluctant to go down that path because in my view, they probably have no idea what the individual skills are and what they want to do and possibly view what they want to do in terms of self-employment as a hobby, when in sure. reality, it could well be a niche employment opportunity. Oh, I think you're right. I, I, and I certainly, um, I would certainly, um say in that context that um, you know social service or, or you know, service providers uh, tend not to have the uh, business acumen or, or enterprise um, to be the help that others might otherwise be uh, in, in pursuing um, you know the kind of micro enterprise concept that many people are looking looking to um, and that you know access to um, <clears throat> Um, good um, business, uh, sound business advice and expertise is really important in that context and it doesn't often come from service providers. Um, I think though that I would add a couple of caveats. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I worry sometimes about um, it being something of a fad um, and is, is over, over, over invested in. Um, certainly um, a micro enterprise or, or self-employment is an important option to explore and um, in a world where uh, we are increasingly um, person-centred and person-directed then absolutely. Uh, however, um, our field is replete uh, with historical experiences that are uh, made up of, of fads and fashions and, and that, that go well and truly out of control. And, you know, one of the one of the things I think we need to be just be a little cautious about is, um, you know, mi micro enterprises do have the potential to further isolate 
mm. disabled people um, and uh, disconnect them uh, from from the community at large. Um, but you know, with that caveat, um, certainly it's it's an option that we uh, we should not be dismissing at all. I think there are, these are very important considerations for certain, and, and I think you know I would take the view that if we started and used an evidence-based process around the employment uh, um, proposition for an individual, then we're more likely to go to explore all options rather than what we currently have, which tends to exclude a whole range of potential sure. options for people. For sure, for sure. And I think, you know, if, if we're paying attention, um, you know, um, we will we will spy, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, the motivation, um, the, the niche um, expertise and skill that a particular individual might might have around which a, a micro enterprise could 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 be um, fashioned. So, absolutely, pay attention. When you when you look at, um, you know, I started this conversation with the idea around automation and uh, the future of employment. Uh, if you look at some of the traditional roles that people with a disability have have gone into, and particularly in the service industries like um, uh, retail food where once upon a time there were plenty of opportunities uh, for anybody in the community to, to get a job working in the checkout or packing or any of these things, these jobs have largely become automated. So there's a significant lessening of opportunity in the community. Where would you see potential opportunities coming from in the future, given a lot of those jobs? And probably the most obvious and extreme example is Amazon shop in Seattle, where there sure. are absolutely no staff <laughs> at all. Yes. Um, what are we thinking about for the future? Well, I mean, uh, crystal ball gazing is a difficult one. Um, you know, people who specialize in predicting the future get it, get it wrong so often, but clear, clearly, um, in the, in the um, IT and technical sec, you know, tech sector, um, but I think also in, the, in service industries, um, which is a, a big growth area in New Zealand, um, it, it is often a people-orientated industry. You know, the whole customer service, customer experience. Um, I think there there may be a, a whole raft of opportunities to explore there, but I think that's part and parcel of that changing labour market, and we need to be open to those possibilities, but also the possibility that the the number of jobs as we understand them to be at the moment may indeed shrink. Right. And so that raises the question, you know, I, in terms of recognising the humanity in all of us, um, uh, we have this, I, I always have thought that we have this innate desire to contribute, to construct, to build, to, to create, um, whether we get paid for it or not. Um, and so I think we need to be very mindful of those opportunities um, uh, and increasing opportunities that people are going to be wanting to explore, particularly in a, in a labour market that might be diminishing in terms of opportunities for other ways and means to contribute, to connect, to create, um, and to um, you know be part of the part right. of the community in which they live. You mentioned personal services um, and the changing nature of employment. I mean, it it, it strikes me that that as society becomes a little bit more wealthy and individuals become increasingly time poor and I think it's illustrated by the number of advertisements you see on TV for prepackaged meals and food mm. to be delivered to your house. It, it strikes me that in the future there's a significant opportunity uh, in the employment sphere around 
those personal services that can be delivered to people in their homes. Um, and I would see that as a as certainly as an opportunity for people with a disability because we're not talking about you know, 30 or 40 hours a week, we're talking about someone who, can you come in and look after my herb garden? Can you come in and look yeah. after my, you know, look yeah. after my dogs or that sort of stuff? And, and to a degree, that's almost an extension of, of what a lot of us do anyway, where we get someone to come in and mow our lawns. Sure. I, I guess, and I agree, and I, I think that will be increasingly the case. It does raise the prospect, though, of, of how people will... Um, sustain uh, their economic security if employment opportunities are more part-time, um, more casual um, and less permanent. Um, how does people's economic participation, um, uh, how, how is that enabled? Right, uh, and, and that goes to things like, I guess in terms of how do you want to better yourself, maybe you want to buy a home or this sort of stuff. and. Our financial systems are still still heavily weighed towards the idea that someone's in permanent employment That's when right. in actual fact the majority of people are probably have multiple casual jobs that actually add up to a full-time That's job. That's right and I mean the reality now is if you've got casualized part-time work or you are a contractor you will struggle to get a mortgage. Right this is despite the fact that if you think about it most professionals and let's take university as a very good example three quarters of the staff at a university are casual yeah that's right despite the fact they have a permanent title yeah so this isn't simply an issue for people with a disability it's actually a, a community issue that as a society we really haven't thought yeah. about yet i think it goes back to the um the comments we made earlier around you know the the, the labor market is changing around us right now and our thinking about it and the policies and, and um, um, regulatory and legislative machinery around the labour market is, is you know, still based on a, a, a reality that is almost... Non-existent. Mm. It's almost still wedded to the 60s and 70s yeah. idea of employment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right, well, thank you very much. Um, that's been a really good discussion on employment and I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you very much.